Applications for the Techstars Tech Central Sydney Accelerator Class of 2024 are closing on the 22nd of May. I'm Kirsten Hunter, the Managing Director of Techstars Sydney, and I'm looking for diverse and unstoppable founders who are using technology to solve the world's biggest problems to join this Accelerator cohort. The 12 successful businesses will get access to our 13-week mentor-driven accelerator, $120,000 US investment, and access to the Techstars network for life. Head to our Accelerator webpage to learn more and to apply. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer, founder of the Day One Network, which is bringing the history of the Australian startup ecosystem to you. I believe in founders. It's why I do everything I do at Day One and our media company, W2D1 Media. And that's why the Day One Network exists, to create helpful content for founders. We've got some great shows in development, but a large part of what we do couldn't be done without support from our partners and sponsors. And I couldn't be happier than to be working with NTP, who get community better than any other technology recruitment company out there. A Newcastle company like mine, NTP, are invested in seeing the growth of the local tech community in Newcastle, Sydney, and more broadly, Australia. So thank you, NTP, for helping us bring helpful content to founders and the startup community in Australia. Back to the interview. Hi, I'm Adam Spencer and welcome to Day One, the podcast that spotlights Australian startups, founders, and the organizations that empower Australian entrepreneurship. We go back to the beginning to tell the story of Australia's most inspiring founders and how they built their companies. You're listening to a special interview series as part of a documentary W2D1 is producing about the history of the Australian startup ecosystem. This episode was conducted by guest host Will Cho. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Australian Startup Series interviews. Our guest today is Daryl Lyons. So good to have you on, Daryl. Yeah, thanks William. Glad to be here. Could you introduce yourself? My name is Daryl Lyons. I work as the entrepreneur in residence for James Cook Uni in the tropical North Queensland Drought Hub and also for National Agri-Tech Startup Group Cool Farmers, the founders. So what are you doing at James Cook University as well as Farmers to Founders? Basically helping run sort of pre-accelerators and accelerators and then also mentoring, you know, regional startups on their journey to become successful and then helping them, you know, grind through the ups and downs of their startup journey. I see. I'd love to dig in a little bit into your background, Daryl. Take us back even to when you were at university days. Would you say that you've always been an entrepreneur? Yeah, I, I didn't go to university when I left school. So I left school and, and traveled Australia picking fruit and then went overseas for a bit. I grew up in an agricultural area. Um, my parents uh, are cattle farmers. So I kind of ran away from ag after traveling, ended up in the construction industry for quite a while. I had a few different businesses. I always say my claim to fame is I'm a, a failed NBN contractor as I went in to build the NBN across Northern Australia with a team of 60. But that was a, a mistake working for a government-owned entity that was a you know political football. And then following that, actually, that big failure, I looked at a sign for a startup weekend in Cairns and decided to go go to that. And that was that was kind of life-changing for me, basically learning to fail fast. And that was probably six years ago, and that started my startup journey. That's amazing. What made you stick around? In the startups or? Yeah, in, in startup land after you went into that startup week in Cairns. 
it just was a huge light bulb moment for me, just lit me up and just realized the way I've been trying to run my businesses and, and create them and put so much capital and time into create something and then not really hitting the mark sometimes. Um, and then also working as a contractor in the construction industry with a lot of resources and time and squeeze of the industry. And it was really hard. Mm. Whereas how do you go and make something that's scalable and, and can kind of make money while you sleep? But more around like how you go around and do that for, you know, not much equity in the in the lean startup methodology, which we did on the weekend. And then then I went out and went, cool, this is what I need to do and created two startups, which kind of fell over. Um, but they were that was a good learning tool to con- continue there. What, what year was that when you first uh, dipped your toes? Uh, so that was six years ago. So, yeah, 2017. What was it like back then? Did you find that when you wanted to transition into this whole startup ecosystem, what was the support structures around you? Do you remember any any notable um, organizations? Yeah, I went through a place called The Space in Cairns. And I guess as I've kind of learned along, you know, there was a fair bit of involvement from the Queensland government back then to help kind of set up regional ecosystems. Yeah, that was my involvement to get in there, to get connected and have some people very excited to kind of help teach about that journey and, and how to go forward with that. Yeah. Do you think over the last six years, the startup ecosystem in Cairns, has the growth been what you expected it to be? No, it's been really challenging in the regional areas. And I guess after my failed startup to form the company startup Coleskovox, which is going pretty well, um, we kind of track food in the supply chain and you know, we've got a team of 20 down in Sydney. When my partner and I decided to have another baby, that's when I just started to take on the EIR roles because I'm passionate about regional activity and and I think there's a huge opportunity for very successful startups to be based in the regions. One of the problems though is I guess the regional ecosystems are normally set up by a couple of people who are very passionate, you know, might get a, a grant to get them going for a while and it takes a lot of energy and they kind of, you know, hard to keep that momentum because they kind of like might burn out or don't get some funding so I've sort of seen that a fair bit across the regional ecosystem. What I think might change, and JCU have gone about it in a different model, we're yet to see if it's going to be successful. But through the state and federal governments and JCU, they built a large $30 million building here called the JCU Ideas Lab. Uh-huh. It's a venue that hopefully will attract people and open them up to the talent that's in the university, but create an ecosystem. So it's a different model. Uh, it's only been open for 12 months, starting to see some good green shoots come through. So I'm hoping this is a, a new model that actually allows that entrepreneurial capacity because there's a hell of a lot of it in regions and the regional people are probably very resilient as well. Um, so yeah, hopefully there's some really big success stories to come out of here in the coming years. Yeah, that's awesome. The only thing that came to my mind is it seems like it isn't a talent shortage. As you say, that there are plenty of talented entrepreneurs up in regional areas. But the problem seems to be that there wasn't just attention given. Why is it only within the last 12 months uh, attention was given? I think there's been attention given over the five years that I've been involved and and probably before, but it goes in cycles and funding cycles and it's really hard to keep that momentum when it's only a few people trying to lead the whole ecosystem. So they're potentially dependent on funding cycles, which kind of, I guess, takes away the momentum that's needed to kind of keep that critical momentum to allow 
that founder ecosystem and kind of work on that talent to get them moving through their journeys. Yeah, absolutely. Switching gears a little bit, what sort of advantages would you say uh, setting up your startup in a regional ecosystem has over, say, a metro city? <laughs> One, I guess, you've got the Great Barrier Reef, you've got World Heritage Rainforest, you've got, you know, 15-minute commutes with a couple of sets of lights, a very casual city to live in. I guess definitely COVID has dramatically changed real estate in Cairns and a lot of people have kind of moving up here to work out how good it is and remote work is obviously not an issue um, compared to what before. So people could create their startup up here. They could have regional workforces with tech talent that they might not be able to source here. It's a great environment for tech talent to actually move up here. Cost of living is a hell of a lot cheaper. There's kind of lots of positives. And I guess COVID's actually, you know, making it a lot more enticing. And I guess the investment that James Cook Uni and the government's put in with facilities like this will hopefully enable that. Because I guess this gives confidence that this place was back for, you know, a decade and there's going to be support and an ecosystem in this building. So it won't be that stop-start momentum that might have hindered it previously. Yeah, definitely. Do you have any um, perspectives on potential solutions on, on what we could be doing better for regional ecosystems? Because you said that it's run only by a few people and if they get burnt out, then momentum kind of dies down. Yeah, I think a lot of the people, my specialty is probably in the agri-tech area, and I guess that's a potential opportunity of strength in regional areas in Queensland and Australia. So how do people really play at the strengths in what's what's a good theme in their area and not trying to boil the ocean and, and have a bit of everything? Hmm. And that will kind of attract groups of startups that can kind of leverage off each other. And then I think it's kind of like, how do we stop duplication of services between different regions that maybe, you know, for example, doing agri-tech in the Darling Downs, in Townsville, in Mackay, in Bundaberg and in Cairns, how do they all work together that can actually help those new startups and founders in that industry and, and help them accelerate? And I guess that enables a lot, you know, getting a fair bit further with the bang for buck of what those regional ecosystems do have. Yeah. So it's just all about specialization. So when your ecosystem is known for, um, you know, as, as you mentioned, agritech, naturally, all the people who are interested in that will start to flock towards that area. Um, and, and it won't just have to be a couple of people trying to drive everything. Yeah, I think that's the opportunity. When, when you mentioned um, to try to prevent duplication of services, that kind of piqued my interest. Would you say that competition is a good thing? When, say, Townsville and, and Cairns try to do the same thing, then they can try to compete with each other? I guess Cairns and Townsville have competed with each other forever, kind of like a Sydney-Melbourne kind of, <laughs> you know, knock each other off. off. But I guess, you know, but in reality, though, if they, they try to compete on exactly the same thing and try to offer the same services to people and it's it's just not you know it's they're small towns compared to obviously cities and there's a lot less people so it's you know and the resources we can attract due to the population are, are probably you know not as large as the um, metro areas so it's kind of how do you work together to use your resources to help improve you know the overall ecosystems in each area. Switching gears to a national perspective, is there anything top of mind that you think that as a country we should be doing better for our entrepreneurs? 
one of the things I'm kind of passionate about, I'm, I'm Indigenous, so I kind of feel there's a really big opportunity to push our Indigenous entrepreneurs and, and get them a bit more represented in the ecosystem. Mm. I know there's a lot of people doing lots of different things and that's becoming a little bit more topical. And I think there needs to be more momentum and support for that. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see if, um, I guess, the other area that I'm really close in is in agri-tech and, and just trying to get that recognized as an industry, which is kind of then recognized across federal government and state government and regional government and kind of all ended up with a bit of a similar policies to enable that area to flourish. And I guess that goes for any other vertical startup ecosystem regionally as well. Yeah. When you mentioned trying to support the Indigenous founders, what mode of support would you like to see? Is it funding or? What we're finding in a few of the programs and accelerators we run, there's a a bit of an education around startup, which is a bit scary for some people, but there's a huge entrepreneurial capacity and that's been there for tens of thousands of years. So I I think there is a, a piece of education and then I guess then there's also a piece of in the accelerators we run, we potentially don't match them for like skill set as far as like runway and, you know, runs on the board because they're new to the whole startup scene. So if you nurture people through the different accelerators, they'll actually accelerate quite quickly. And I guess that goes back to my education piece when I went to a startup weekend five years ago, I'm still educating myself around it. So it takes a while to get people on that journey and and for them to be successes. So the more work we can get those Indigenous founders in early is going to start that pathway and and then we get around and and celebrate the successful people as well because, you know, they're the shining lights so people can aspire to. Yeah, absolutely. It's it's all about just encouraging uh, the the tens of thousands of years of skills and entrepreneurial skills in the indigenous founders um, and educating them so that we can bring them along the journey as well. Yeah, totally. How about in terms of strengths as a national ecosystem, what do we do better than other countries? Speaking from a regional perspective, I think everyone's really genuine. Like, in, you know, they're genuine about their capacity. They have that entrepreneurial spirit. And I really like that honesty from the regional area. Again, I'm kind of passionate about the agri-tech area. I think that's a huge opportunity for Australia to be the best in the world at. Mm. And I think that get in and have a go attitude is really, really good. Yeah. What excites you about agri-tech? I noticed that this is a theme that's been mentioned a couple of times throughout our conversation. My grandparents were in ag and, and farmers. My parents are my traditional side of the family of I believe that you know practice sustainable agriculture for tens of thousands of years on on our traditional country we've got such a diverse country with lots of different areas we have our unsubsidized farming system so basically all our producers have been entrepreneurial to succeed over the last you know a few hundred years and our indigenous population had to be entrepreneurial to flourish in you know some some tough environments around the country for tens of thousands of years so i think that breeds into that spirit of finding a problem working out how to to solve it and i guess any application we build in this country is definitely usable right around the world and i think with our clean food which will go to it'll breed more sustainable 
regenerative agriculture systems, which kind of brings in a lot of clean tech. We can get into a lot of food value adding tech with putting sustainable, really healthy food, which the world wants. Hmm. The tech required to make all that work is, is such a huge opportunity for us. So, Daryl, could you tell me a little bit about some of the opportunities that you see in uh, regional centres? Yeah, I see the next decade and two decades as a huge opportunity for Northern Australia. I think there's a huge untapped potential, and I guess that still runs in the theme around the agri-tech in, in food. And I think agri-tech's going to play a huge part about increasing production in Northern Australia. And I also see an area that's just untapped yet, and that's around Indigenous entrepreneurial spirit in Northern Australia and how we can start to work out how we can unpack that and then create that and see there's huge opportunity to get people involved in that. Yeah, absolutely. So, Daryl, what we're trying to do in this podcast is to document as accurately as possible our history, just so that we can inform future decisions. And we're aiming to reach all corners from policymakers, academics, founders and investors. Is there anything that we haven't talked about today that is constantly top of mind for you that they need to hear? I think one of the problems I guess we have with short election cycles is we get a bit of stop start Uh, and that's problematic in trying to, especially in regional areas, to just kind of keep momentum going. That has been mentioned before, but I think that's definitely a topical area that needs to to be reiterated and, and talked about. Yeah, that's a constant theme that I hear with a lot of founders on the show talking about how the whims of policymakers changes drastically, obviously, during election cycles, and it makes it difficult. Um, could you tell me a bit about some of the impact that you've noticed firsthand? Yeah, so in our Escobox journey, we were lucky enough to be a recipient of this accelerating commercialization grant. But when that you know goes into election cycles, that whole area in Oz industry, when they announce caretaker and whenever it is in the next month or two, uh, that whole area of grants will be going on hold and, and it's in doubt to what's going to happen if there's a change in election, which could be totally ripped out or changed. So, you know, is it two years before they put something similar out there? That's just an example of a really successful program. You know, for Escovox, we had a million dollar grant from that, which enabled us to develop our, our system and we, we track food all around the world. If that's continuous, it just allows a continual flow of grants for people to keep going on rather than it kind of stop start kind of mentality. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. And lastly, if a brand new entrepreneur or founder came to you, given all your experience, your mistakes and wins, what would you tell them to increase their chances of success? Yeah, it's definitely not a sprint. How do you kind of work on your resilience ability and, and increase you know, your skills to endure the ups and downs of the journey would be the key yeah, advice I would pass on. I hope you enjoyed that interview. More interviews are on the way. Follow the podcast wherever you're listening right now. Stay tuned for more interviews with many, many more amazing people from the Australian startup ecosystem. Thanks for listening and see you next time.